Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your love. Praise God. Praise God. Maybe seated for just a moment. I uh, had forgotten. I had no idea I wrote that. So I'm telling you, you know, that's what happens when you start to forget some things or you do forget some things. You have new friends every day. <laughs> Meet an old one, they're new. Don't remember exactly that person. It is a great blessing to uh, come back to places and after many years still see people that love God, living for God, and moving on for the Lord. And it is an exciting um, a stage of a church when they begin to look out to other areas to try and help those. I think that's an amazing vision, Brother Sparks. It's not an easy thing, and yet... If we waited until everything was in place, we probably would never do it. Uh, some people, they want to have all their ducks in a row, and then they'll give to the Lord, and they never do because there's always something that comes along. Uh, it, uh, it requires a, a vision, and it requires faith, faith to look out beyond ourselves. I, uh, all, we always run up against when we think about branching out, and we, we always run up against, well, why don't they just come here? Why go out and plant another place? They can just come here. We already got a place. And uh, why don't they give here? Why don't they uh, pick up a part of here? And uh, a lot of the time, it, it basically is distance and sometimes culture, sometimes the area you're in. depends on if they have transportation or not. A lot of those things we faced on the mission field. And when we thought about starting a new work, uh, there's always more things that could go wrong or that are not in place than those that are in place. But to me, the most important things are in place. We have a vision, you have a desire, and uh, you have the motivation of the will of God. At some, and, and I think we begin to realize it a few years afterwards. When we see that work in place, we see it going, and then we compare the two. You take the attendance here, you take the attendance there, you take the giving here, you take the giving there, and you realize that the com combination is much greater than if we had just uh, tried to make it go here. It, it's amazing uh, to start a work and see within a relatively uh, short period of time, 30, 40 people, and yet to add 30 or 40 to the existing congregation is a long track, it seems like. So... I, I do believe there is some uh, a lot of merit just on the statistical level, but then we don't operate just on that level. We operate on the spiritual level and realize that every point that there is a church is another opportunity for people to come to God and come to know the Lord. I thank God that there was a church where I was growing up. I thank God I was a part of the church growing up. And I can't look back, I look back on it, I, I can't imagine not having been a part of the church from a very early age. I just, uh, it's always been a part of us. And I think that's one reason that there is a predisposition in our children to live for God, to seek uh, after the Lord. It's not a strange thing to feel the Holy Ghost. It's not, not a weird thing to to begin to worship the Lord at a very young age. It's just a natural, normal thing uh, that comes with being uh, raised in a Pentecostal home and around a Pentecostal church. So I thank God for that. Thank God for it for me. Thank God for my children, my grandchildren. We are blessed 
uh, enormously blessed tonight. I would like to have my wife come, and uh, I know that she will have some thoughts that probably express and uh, some things that I would probably express if I thought about them. But she's got them. <laughs> got them in her mind. I'm so glad for my wife. Uh, of course, she was in missions before I was, but together we have been in missions for a long time. Just retired at the end of last year from Global Missions and uh, went to Miami. So uh, there we're in a Hispanic church. Our son started a Spanish-speaking church. So uh, every time we go to church, it's a Spanish Bible. I haven't had this Bible out of my bookshelves for years and uh, yet now I knowing I coming out here to Oregon it's not Spanish it's English so having to take a whole new look at the word of the Lord <laughs> praise the Lord it's so good to be here tonight and with that reading all kinds of memories start flooding your mind and I turned to sister Sparks and I said I think maybe he wrote those I think he wrote those minutes and then I began to think, and then I turned to her and said, um, he has written or rewritten a lot of constitutions and bylaws since 1974. So, you know, maybe that was laying the groundwork for what our life was going to be. I don't know how many countries really he's written the, rewritten the constitution and bylaws. Probably at least five at least five countries in South America. And so you never know what God's going to do with your life, really. Um, it seemed like we came out here longer than that. We started in February, and we left for the field as what is now known as Amers in June. Was not aware, by the way, that this was a global mission service. But, um, you know, when I think about it, every step in your life prepares you for something. You may not know what it is at the time, but they are steps that God is leading to you to what would be his will for your life. And it's not that we're out of his will. We are just following the journey that God lays before us. When we were coming out here and you things happen, and at the time you think, oh, my goodness, when is this going to stop? But when we came out here to work in the branch work with in a VFW hall, had to clean it up every Sunday morning because the drunks had been there the night before. But um, when we came out here, God had started taking everything away from us. Um, we didn't have a car. Who doesn't have a car in the U.S. and come clear from Milwaukee out to here? And... Um, we won't go into the details of why we didn't have a car, but we didn't have a car, so we had this. And I was pregnant, and we had this old dilapidated green Dodge truck that belonged to the church in Milwaukee. I think it had no shocks. I thought that I was going to deliver on the road many times when we came out here. But um, it was something that got us here, and that's about all you can say. And, you know, um, when, and then there were several other things that happened. But in, I, in April, when Brother Daryl came, it was shortly after that that we had nothing to do. All of our ministerial duties had been, I say, taken away from us. 
but it was the transitions time. And when I think about it, this church was probably instrumental somewhat in us getting to the field. And uh, Brother Daryl came, Brother Rome had left, Brother Toole was here. A lot of transitions in those four months of 1974. And our daughter was born, which many of you know her. She was born on May 2nd, and it was four, six weeks later, well, four weeks later that we got a call. And that call came from headquarters, and they said, uh, Sister Kathy, uh, is Brother Derry there? I said, no, he's not. He's at work. I had, I had not quit my job, but I was on maternity leave, so I didn't have any job responsibility. We had no car. We had just paid off every debt that we have, which back in the day was only $1,000, but we had 10 cents in our pocket. We had nothing. God had taken ministerial duties away from us. He had taken all the payments, insurance, whatever a car was, and we wondered, what next, God? And we got this phone call, and uh, he said, Brother, it was Don, Brother Don Fisher, ex, actually. And he said, when does your husband get home? And I said, well, he'll be home about 6 o'clock. And uh, so I said, call back then. Of course, I, I had known him since, since I was a kid. And so all day long I'm worrying, what on earth does he want? I know what department he belongs to. It's foreign missions. And that's... He called back and he said, would you be willing to go to Argentina and start the Bible school? And that's how we got to Argentina. And so you never know the times that you go through what God is taking you through or to for you to be a success in him. And I feel eternally grateful that I put my hands in his life and he was able to guide me and take me to a place that I already loved, I can go even further back. In 1970, when I came back to the United States, um, my parents were in uh, Uruguay, excuse me, and the conference was here in Portland. Most of you probably don't remember that. But I came to that conference, and I knelt in the altar at the Foreign Mission Service, And at that point, God spoke to me, and he said, you will go back to South America. I had no clue where or when or anything, but God knows our heart, and he can direct our paths. We have lived a beautiful life. It has not been a sacrifice at all. I think we're sacrificing now, really, (laughs) since we've retired Because, you know, when you live in an area for so long, that's where your friendships are. That's where our kids are raised. I heard somebody say the other day, you know, Kara still kind of has an accent. And she's been gone since 91. But we saw the work in Argentina grow to five, from 500, about 500 when we went there. Today it is around between, around 35,000. But God has enabled us and allowed us, allowed us to have experiences in all of the countries in South America and see them grow to great revival. And I am so thankful that we could be a part of it. You actually, in ministry, 
You walk up on the stage, you walk across it, and then you walk down. And that really is kind of what is happening in the, as far as our missions work is concerned. But I want you to know that we're still active, we're still preaching, we're still teaching. Um, I have no clue what God is going to do with us in Florida where our son is, but they're Spanish. And we have already spent this year probably about eight weeks in South America preaching and teaching. So God has great things for us. He has great things for you. I want to see this filled when I come back. This needs to be filled full of young people, older people, couples, worshiping God. This area needs a witness. And these pews need to be filled with people who have a desire. We just got to find them. We just got to find them. They're not going to come without us going and looking for them. And I am so glad that he has given us something in our heart and our mind and our spirit that tells us, tell it. Go out and tell it. And they will come. They will come when they know our victories and our testimonies. It is great to be here tonight and to be with you. May God bless you. Praise God. There's so many things, when you think back, you can see the hand of the Lord in your life uh, that you didn't see it at that point. You, you can recognize, uh, okay, God did this for me or that, but to see an overall direction, an overall trend is sometimes difficult in the moment. It's just like your children, you know, at two years old, actually before two years old, I always think it's walk. They just, you know, I don't want to carry them everywhere. Well, then they become two years old or before, and then they're walking everywhere. And you, you wish for something else. I wish they'd sit down for a while, you know. <laughs> you know, the baby's born, you say, I want him to cry. After a while, you say, I wish he'd quit crying. <laughs> so I do think in our everyday lives, it's sometimes very difficult to see where is God right now? You know, where is the hand of God in my life right now? But uh, a little bit of distance lets us get some perspective. You know, it's hard to even see dimensions of things when you're up real close to them. You have to back away from it. You have to give it a little space. And then when you look at it, you can see not only the dimension, but you can see beauty in something. You can see how it all fits together, and the Bible talks about the church as a building that's fitly framed and fitly uh, built together. I think that's true of our own lives personally, and I do thank God for these young people to hear today. Uh, it's sometimes very hard as a young person, okay, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And then it, what's really aggravating is people keep asking you that, you know. What you going to do when you get out of school? I have no idea, uh, you know, this first time I've ever come up at the end of school, you know. So people ask me, you know what, I, I say, I don't have a clue, you know. Of course, at, at that moment, you think they're judging you for not knowing what your future is going to be. I always, I was always kind of 
had a feeling uh, to just ask him back, what are you going to do when you get to be 40 then? And they're all like, well, <laughs> see if they knew what they were going to do at 40. Nobody knows what they're going to do at 40. Unless they're 39 and a half, then they know what they're going to do at 40. So uh, the Lord has been good to us, and I believe he's been good to you. Praise God. You look back, look back on your life. Hallelujah. You can see the hand of God. Certainly didn't seem like the hand of God when I had the car crash and we had to uh, put our car. They fixed our car, but then we had to put it up for consignment because we couldn't pay the payments. And, and it seemed like such a tragedy, you know. First new car, too. First new car. And um, seemed like such a tragedy. But look back on it now, uh, we're glad, not glad the crash happened, but glad that uh, it, things went that way. We didn't have to try and get rid of a car. I don't. I don't know how long it was. It couldn't have been very long, you know, before we turned around and went to Argentina, because Kara was only six weeks old when we first went down there. So uh, things happened very quickly. Uh, it was a great blessing to be a part, small part, of of this church beginning uh, out in Hillsboro. Actually, I probably couldn't find the place today. Uh, at all may not even exist, but uh, you look up at a beginning of something and you have no idea what it can grow into. Uh, have no idea the influence that that one location and uh, that one pastor will have on the work. I, I have great, uh, just give great honor to those couples that were mentioned there, Brother Sparks, the Odoms, the Perinos. Um, it was. Did I say that right? Frina. It's Frina. It's Frank Frina. Um, you know, they basically were a part of a thriving, uh, booming church, if we can characterize it that way. In Milwaukee, it was uh, at one point, I think we had 700 there in a, an attendance drive. But it was uh, just a, a great church to be in. They had young uh, people in their homes, and uh, you know that was not an easy transition or decision to make, where two couples and their families basically left that uh, church and then came to nothing really, and uh, to begin this, I thank God for them. We don't, we don't always know the end. We don't ever know the end from the beginning, but we don't always know how important a decision is in not just your own life, but in someone else's life. And I thank God for them today. Don't know, don't have a clue what's happening with their families or how their future has gone. But I do know that that was a tremendous uh, commitment and sacrifice that they made. And I don't believe that God regards sacrifice lightly. I think it's something that he is very precious to God. And uh, many times in the Bible, a particular sacrifice indicated a whole change. Uh, God changed people's names because they made a sacrifice. He changed the future of nations because of a sacrifice. He stopped plagues because of sacrifices. So I thank God for your sacrifice today. It might not be exactly what the Odoms or the Farinos do, Farinas did, but uh, we all have our sacrifice to make, and it may seem a small thing, at the time to us, but we don't know how that's going to affect uh, the future of our own lives, of our children's lives, of our grandchildren's lives. 
And we can look back and say, thank God I made that sacrifice. Thank God I didn't just do my own selfish things that I wanted to do, but I gave to the Lord. I did for the Lord. We committed to the Lord. And as a result, you can look back and say, thank the Lord for the direction that he took our life in because of that commitment and sacrifice we made. I, I uh, think, you know, some people feel like sacrifice is a one-time deal. You know, they, uh, it's a whole, uh, you know, one time, uh, that's good enough. Uh, in my 20s, I, I, may, I sacrificed to the Lord. That ought to last till the 60s, you know. Make another small sacrifice in the 60s, and that ought to carry me out into my 80s. And by then, I don't even have a clue as to what I am doing to sacrifice. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be good at that point. You know, uh, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And so I think about those things. I think there has to be a continual renewing of our spirit, a renewing of our sacrifice to the Lord. It may not always be the same, you know. It was a sacrifice, I guess, you know, we walked, we actually walked in the United States back then, uh, you know, <laughs> we walked, we had a little apartment up on 82nd and walked from there down to Milwaukee uh, to church a few times because we didn't, we lost our car, you know, it didn't have, and uh you know, you look back on, on that. Of course, people then thought we were really sacrificing to go to church because we were walking. Now people go out and run 5K th marathons. Nobody, you know, go out on a, uh, a run, they call it, you know, and nobody thinks anything of it. Uh, but there was, you just do something sometimes, and you really have no thought or clue as to what that will do, where that will lead, how it fits into your life. I just want to encourage you tonight, you know, thinking about missions and and uh, everything that we do. It, it is a giving. It is a commitment um, to people we don't know. And and there was a time back in the late 1800s, even the early 1800s, that uh, there was a push to have evangelism and missions and a lot of people at that time expressed in the church, not our church, but in just the general Christianity, expect, they expressed an opinion. They said, don't go, don't send missionaries overseas. Don't uh, take the gospel overseas. Those people are heathens. They don't know the Lord. If they stay heathen, they're good because God will deal with them as heathens and not as, as potential Christians. You think, how could you get that in your mind? And yet that was really not anti-missions as just null missions. You know, they felt like we're not involved, we're not responsible. Those people are a long ways away. We don't even know their language. Uh, they're not Americans. You know, the, a lot of people, <laughs> people go overseas, expect to, to get off the plane in a foreign country and find Americans there. You know, they... Expect to, that the people all go to McDonald's, that they, that they all, you know, uh, they know that they all celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, the pilgrims didn't go to Brazil. The pilgrims came here, you know. <laughs> Somebody said, why don't they celebrate Thanksgiving? 
I said, well, why don't you celebrate the 9th of July? What happened on the 9th of July? Argentina celebrated its independence, you know. So it just depends. They don't celebrate the 4th of July because they weren't freed on 4th of July, you know. <laughs> so there, there are people, you know, they have a very narrow view of the world, you know. They just feel like it. Uh, basically, America, sometimes it's their county is their world. Other people, it's their city is their world. They don't really think about it. So I thank God for every saint of God that can see farther than their county line. You can see farther than your state line. You can see farther than the line of the United States of America. You can see beyond that. You have a vision beyond that. And it would seem, uh, Lord, it's impossible to to send somebody down there and support them to live there and get them a car. But I thank God the whole purpose of our church when it was formed was ex to do exactly that, to reach the whole gospel, to take this whole gospel to the whole world. We added later on by the whole church. I like that. Hallelujah. So I do believe it is our individual responsibility not to go ourselves or even send somebody uh, personally, but that we all collectively sacrifice and commit and give so that this gospel will be preached in all the world for a witness, for a testimony. Hallelujah. Jesus commanded us to do that long before the 1800s. His, his, his command to the church at that time, which was confined to the Middle East. We ought to be thankful that the church didn't think like uh, the people in England thought in the 1800s. We wouldn't be reached. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be in the church. We were the infidels. We were the heathens. Actually, much more heathen than most of the societies in those days. The biggest society in that day was China. Now, thank God that he gave us the gospel and it got to us and we ourselves are a part of the church today. God give us help. God give us grace to reach out ourselves. Hallelujah. If other ages reached out and he, here is the church as a result, then we need to reach out. And God will have a church in places that right now no one knows who Jesus Christ is. They give him no importance at all. But I thank God we know who he is. Praise God. He is the almighty God in flesh. And I praise God we know him today. We have his spirit upon us. And we do love him with all of our heart. I uh, do have a message here, but thinking of just missions, a couple of there are a lot of funny things that happen. They're funny afterwards, you know. Most, most humor is funny to somebody that is one step removed, you know. Falling down the steps is not hilarious to the person that's fallen down the steps. <laughs> but it's absolutely hilarious, uh, especially the South Americans. That's a funny thing, you know. Their, their humor is different. Their sense of humor is different. We'd see somebody fall and say, oh, my Lord. But they see somebody fall and they just break up in laughter, man. And look at that guy. That's, that's hilarious. That is funny, you know. And uh, sometimes they look at us, oh, why are you laughing? And uh, we look at them and say, why are you laughing? That's a, uh, it's just a, a part of culture. And we do thank God that he has given us, as my wife said, some very great friends. Uh, 
in the years uh, that we were in South America, gave us some great friends. Um, it you you can't. It's just impossible to have a very close friendship that's not based on shared experiences. And so, in some aspects, a lot of missionaries, probably ourselves included, wish that we had had more time in some places that we visited with some people that we, uh, our lives brushed up against theirs. We wish that we had had more time with them to really have a deep friendship. Instead, it's more or less an acquaintance friendship. And that has um, just, that's a part of every one of our lives. You know, you don't, you don't always get to choose where and who, but we do thank God that in our lives he has blessed us with many, many friends that mo a lot of them we've had uh, some very great shared experiences with. And uh, any culture has its funny things and has its serious things, and you recognize sometimes that how different your world is from other people's world. Uh, to them, their world is normal. A little eight-year-old boy, I remember, taking us in this little dugout canoe in the Amazon River, taking us out to a floating church building. And that was the most normal thing in his life. I said, you swim in this water? He said, yeah, I swim every day. I said, uh, aren't there piranhas in this water? He said, yeah, lots of, lots of piranhas. I said, <laughs> didn't bother him a bit, you know. Looked like he had all his legs and arms, and I I said, you know, don't aren't piranhas pretty vicious? He said, yeah, yeah, they are. He said, but just make sure you don't have a cut on your leg or no blood, no anywhere. Get in the water and swim. I said, I'll just let you do that, and I'll just, uh, as long as we get in this little dugout canoe out to the church, that's good enough for me. And uh, you think his life was so different that it was almost incomprehensible, you know? Uh, I've been in some of those type of people, that uh, area, that uh, the, some of the poorer people, you, you know, they don't have, they don't have closets, which to us would be, how can you have possibly a closet? Well, a lot of them don't have anything else either, you know. But no closets because there's no need to, they, they don't have more than two changes of clothes. And you think, my goodness, I couldn't do that. Well, in that culture, you could because that's what they do, you know. Uh, here, uh, you'd be washing every day, and since they wash by hand, that'd be a little bit difficult, you know. So easier probably to buy another shirt than to have to wash the one shirt all the time. But uh, when you think about it, people can live in their own culture, and you can adapt to that. Uh, a lot. You, sometimes you can't adapt the whole way. I didn't swim in the Amazon. I, for the, well, I won't go into it. All that's in that water, you know, it's, it's not just piranhas. Uh, there's a lot of other things. But um, I, do, I do thank God that in spite of those great cultural differences, the gospel is absolutely unique. It works everywhere. It works with every language. It works with every people group. It works with every age group. It works with every economic level. Hallelujah. You could not devise. You couldn't make up a message 
that would do that in every culture around the world. That's why the gospel is the divine word of God. It's a divine truth. It didn't come from human level thinking. It came from God thinking and was actually given to us. Hallelujah. I praise God for the truth that was delivered unto us. The Bible says the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We didn't dream this up. We didn't think it up. It didn't come from a brainstorm or a think tank. It came directly from the throne of God. This gospel is a divine word of God that works everywhere. Hallelujah. You preach the Holy Ghost, they get the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And they all speak with tongues. Amazing, amazing thing. I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak in English as another language. I think my wife has. She's heard a lady, I think a ladies' conference. She heard a lady uh, speaking in tongues for the first time. Didn't know English. Here he is. Here she is talking in in English. Uh, you know, a lot of people they they try to downplay the supernatural part of the gospel. You know they. They can understand repentance because uh, you can do that. You can repent without repenting unto God. You can repent of doing evil to other people. So repentance can exist on another level than, uh, than just godliness. Uh, baptism is a, a decision that you make, and uh, you could even theoretically be baptized. It wouldn't help you much, but you could be baptized if you didn't believe. You know, I'm just... Basically, you're just going to get wet that day, but at least, you know, you could do baptism, I guess, uh, on, a, on a human level. But the Holy Ghost is a whole different level that is included in the gospel. You can't, you can mimic it, but you can't, you can't make it. Uh, you can't clone it. You cannot make the Holy Ghost. Uh, you can't, uh, you, you can mimic it and, and it falls so flat, you know, people that try to talk in tongues and they're not talking in tongues, you can pick that out in, in a second, just like a $3 bill, you know, you just, that that's not real, that's fake, that's made up, that's nowhere near the truth. I thank God for the true outpouring of the Holy Ghost and I thank God that we do speak with tongues. And so that is something that you can't make up. It's something that you can't just uh, say, oh, I'm going to do this also. That is the supernatural part of the gospel is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And they do speak with tongues. I thank God for that. Some people say, well, how do you know that's a language? I don't recognize it as if they spoke every language in the world, you know. You know, that doesn't sound like German or French or Spanish to me. And my answer is, well, what about Babylonian? You know, how, how about Assyrian? You know, can you speak those? Eh, no, no, I can't. Why can't you? Well, they're lost languages. They don't exist, and yet they were a language. So if somebody were to be speaking in tongues and speaking in Babylonian, we wouldn't know anyway. And the Bible also speaks about an angelic tongues. Oh, there you go. What does an angel sound like? What his language? I have no idea. It's not English, I guarantee you that. Relatively new language, you know. So 
So the truth is, we have to accept the supernatural part of the gospel. And it is on a spirit level. So do we know every language that is spoken? No. Do we recognize that that is the Holy Ghost? Yes. We can feel it. We, we can feel not just the vibes, but we feel the sincerity of the person and know that they know no other language. Hallelujah. And here they are talking something else, and it's not just gibberish. It's not just a kid making stuff up. It's real. Now, with it, we don't understand it. We don't have to understand it. As a matter of fact, a lot of things we can't understand, even of our own spirit and our thoughts. So how in the world are we going to understand someone else's? All we have to do is say, that's the power of God. That's the Holy Ghost of God upon them. And I thank God it's as real for them as it is for me, and I don't have to know their language. I thank God for missions and what it's doing around the world and just wanted to talk a, a little tiny bit about missions and the things that, that take place in it. It's just every missionary is different. Every country is different. And, um, you know, all you have to do is pack up from here and go to Minnesota. See if it's not different. Amen. You know, or, or move to Pennsylvania or if you really want to go different, go to Alabama, you know, Mississippi, you know. You say, well, they speak English. No, they speak American. You want to speak want to speak English, go to England, and you don't understand a thing they're saying. They're supposed to be talking the same language we are. Yeah, uh, you know, area to area is different. Amen. You know, go to the south, and they talk about carrying somebody here or there, and I, I said, what? Yeah, I'm from the northwest. Why are you going to carry them? Why don't you drive them there? That's what we're going to do. Oh, okay. So, so carrying them doesn't mean they're carrying them. It means they're putting them in a car and driving them over to the – so they carry grandma everywhere, but it's in a car. It's in a car. <laughs> you know. And then some people come to the United States say uh, – uh, Trying to learn English, and they say, "What? How? How? How do you say that one word? It's Wainsha. Say Wainsha. Yeah, Wainsha. Go here, and Wainsha. Do that. Yeah. Try and explain that one to them. You know, so you know we can criticize other languages. Let's look at ours a little bit. We do thank God for the years that He allowed us to spend in Argentina. It became home to us, and uh, our four children were raised there. Two of them were born there. And the influence of that country is still in their lives. And uh, it does affect some of the decisions they make. And our, our oldest daughter, probably it's more defined in Cara than in the others because they live in the Spanish culture in Miami. And, uh, you know, the South Americans, they love Miami. One book about South American, written by a South American, says, we all love Miami. It's so close to the United States. <laughs> And they're right. They're, they are exactly right. It is, it's another world down there. You know, I think Carrie, even at 40-some uh, years old, she, she thinks before she does something, and the Argentine in her and living in Argentina, and a lot of our people at that time were in the very poor uh, part of the culture of Argentina, she weighs that, do I really need this? I mean, 
we didn't need it back then. You know, why would we need it now? And I, I'm sure the United States through the years is changing or some, but it's amazing how uh, what you go through and live has an influence on you throughout your life. And we do thank God. I don't know if any particular missionary has come out of this church, Brother Sparks. Do you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great friends and great people. And um, they um, are doing an amazing work. Do you have any aimers that have come from this church and gone different areas? If not, I want to encourage you young people not to leave this church. But I do want to encourage you to include at some point in your life another culture for just a few days. Now, you won't, un you won't fully understand it. It's just like you can read books and uh, you can read a book about the Taj Mahal and go and see the Taj Mahal is a whole different thing. You can read about the Amazon, and being there in the Amazon is a whole different thing, you know. Uh, you're reading it in air-conditioned comfort and uh, with your feet, you know, in a rocking chair and your feet propped up on a footstool, you know, and drinking a nice cold Coke or Dr. Pepper, and, and you, there's no way you can cram the humidity of the Amazon into that experience. best way to do that would be to <laughs> just crank the heat up to about 90 degrees and uh, put all kind of humidifiers around you. Actually, just go stand in the shower. I've taken a shower in the Amazon and sweated while I was in the shower. <laughs> oh. Every, and everything out there wants a piece of you, doesn't it, you know? <laughs> All the bugs, fresh meat, you know, they, they uh, mosquitoes, uh, mosquitoes are probably the, the least of your worries. I mean, there's flies out there, they can put all kind of things in you, you know. <laughs> you get in the river, all kind of things in the river, you can't see them. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't worry about the jaguars and the anacondas, those are, I can see those at least, and. They have some little bugs, call them hehenes. You can't even see them when they're biting you. You feel them biting you, but you can't find them. You're looking around, but finally you can see a little black dot, and then you got this great big old red welt that just rises, <laughs> pops up off of your skin, and uh, they're out there by the millions, by the absolute millions. Well, the piranhas are out there by the millions too, but, you know, they're – they're a thing about that long, head, about like that, teeth, all kind of things. And basically, we call them teeth with a tail, is a, is a piranha. Uh, a full-grown steer with a wound on their leg fall in a pool of piranhas that have been left behind as the river receded, and there's a pool of water full of piranhas. They can strip a full-grown steer in a minute down to the bone, and uh, all that's left is bones. So, don't want to fall in Peru to pool of piranhas. So, kind of leave the piranhas here for a minute. But I do, I do uh, want to say that we've had some experiences in the Lord that really kind of take away from any of the days or moments that you go through. Some things you don't like to go through. Uh, I can remember a service we had thirty some out of thirty. I think we had 33 of us there in the service. Three of us 
had the Holy Ghost, my wife, myself, well, there were four of us, my wife, myself, a young man was with us, and the pastor, and the rest of them didn't have the Holy Ghost. And they all wanted the Holy Ghost. So that first night I taught on the Holy Ghost, The second, and I said, come back tomorrow and we'll receive the Holy Ghost. And I said, I just want you to hear the word and let it work in your heart and build faith in you. They were coming in to the service the next night wanting the Holy Ghost when they got there. Uh, one lady said, uh, can I get the Holy Ghost now? I've been thinking about it all day. I want to get the Holy Ghost before church even started. And I said, well, just wait just a little bit, and we're all going to pray for the Holy Ghost. But because of that, just faith in their heart and belief that it was going to happen, they didn't even question whether it was going to happen. They just wonder when is it going to happen. And so consequently, we had uh, 29 of the 30 that needed it were filled with the Holy Ghost in just probably 10, 15 minutes. It was incredible, incredible, hallelujah. It wasn't thousands because there weren't thousands there. I mean, you know, you take percentage-wise, 29 out of 30, that's pretty good, you know. And we thank God for that we were able to be a part of that at that moment, you know. We look back to that. You don't think about the crowding. You don't think about the sweating. You don't think about the humidity. You don't think about there is nothing there physically or, or in any way of comfort. That's not why we were there. It didn't define that moment for us then. Or now, even now, we can't even remember probably all the circumstances. All we remember is what God did in that time. And the absolute rush of the spirit that you feel when you're a part of that. So I thank God. Hallelujah. He allowed us to have some moments and times of those. And we have no idea how far it goes. We have no idea the influence in their own lives. Only God knows that. Only they know that. And yet it is a satisfying thing when we, we go down to uh, Argentina, have somebody come up to us. I have no clue who they are, uh, but they, they know us. And uh, one lady just in this last trip said, you prayed for me and God healed me. I, I don't remember that. I didn't know that. I felt the same when I prayed for people when they got healed, same when they didn't get healed. You know, I have no idea uh, who uh, God healed or, or whether later on they did. The only thing I know is that there are things that take place in every one of our lives that we have no idea how far that influence extends. And so I thank God that we can be used by him, every one of us, in a different way and, a, and maybe in the same way. But in some aspect of our lives, we need to just kind of launch out there in the spirit at every age. Hallelujah. At every age. I believe God can do something with every one of us. Hallelujah. In his time and in his will. It does not depend on the place. You don't have to go to the Amazon to be used by God. Matter of fact, you can get very frustrated in the Amazon. And scared in the Amazon. I remember I was with Brother Benny DeMerchant in the little plane. It had one engine, and uh, he was the pilot. We're flying over the Brazilian jungle, and he's telling me about his heart bypass. <laughs> and I had just seen him lift up a big old container of gasoline. He 
swung it like this, and then he swings it up on top of the wing where the tank is that he's going to pour the gasoline into. I said, Benny, are you supposed to be doing that? I said, I thought after a heart bypass, you weren't supposed to be lifting things that weighed as much as that tank of gasoline weighs. He said, nah, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I said, but, you know, got to get there. So we got to get the gas in the plane. Didn't use a ladder or anything. It puts it up there. And uh, so we're flying over the Amazon. And I'm looking over at him. And I'm looking down at all the trees. That are, you know, It's just like flying over the ocean. Only it's trees. You just fly and fly. Nothing up there. Just, oh, Lord. I got to thinking, you know, look around, look down, look around, look at Benny. You know what? If something happens to Benny right now, this is bad news. <laughs> I have no idea what any of these dials means. I have no idea what lever works anything. Uh, this little wheel in front of me, it's its useless for me. But if he has a heart attack right here, I might as well just jump out of the plane. I mean, there's <laughs> that's it, man. That is it. <laughs> you know, amazing missionaries. God uses people. He doesn't always use, use the flamboyant. He doesn't always use the showman. Uh, like Brother DeMerchant is just a case in point. He's passed on now, but that church in Brazil is 150,000 people, more, maybe 200,000 people. And people out there in the Amazon, there's nothing out there, folks, except for things you don't want to see. And and there's a church out there. To, and, and, and people that love God. Bible school out there where you would just see absolute nothingness and yet God has a people out there that when he comes back they're not just going up from the cities or from here in Portland they're going up from all those little villages hallelujah out there in the Amazon River Basin I thank God hallelujah that we can have a small part in that and at the same time recognize that every person that the church reaches is a part of that great gathering in the sky. Just like to read something here and not preach a full message because I've taken some time for missions here. I do want to encourage these all these young people and maybe not even young. If you want to travel somewhere, you think about traveling, you can make a part of your travel to see our church in that country. Or stop on your way in a country and spend a day. And if you plan it out, and we have a missionary there, or if it's an English-speaking country, you could find out a pastor in a church there. And just go to a service or uh, just have, have a coffee with someone from the church. It will give you a different perspective on what the church really is and on your place in the church. You can recognize, hey, you know, I can do something for the Lord. Hallelujah. I can do something for God. I think we need to believe that. It's not just the people we read about. It's not the people that come by and testify about it. You know, every one of us, hallelujah, every missionary out there was once a one of you sitting on the pew wondering about things. We, I had no clue I'd be a missionary, no idea of what the Lord had in place for us. And yet 
I can look back on it and see that as a young person in Black Lake Campground up in Washington State, uh, that, that the Lord talked to my heart back then. I didn't know what it was. I didn't define any country or anything. But I can look back on it and say, hey, there was the hand of God and the touch of God in my life, and I didn't even know it. So any service can be a point that God touches us for something. And you don't have to spend 20 years, 40 years as we did over there, it give it give us certainly gave us more satisfying experiences and long lasting experiences because we actually did things with those people, lived in their homes for a time, uh, ate with them, uh, slept in their beds. I and never forget probably one of the greatest honors that ever been given us was when we were just young. I don't know how old we were, 24, 28, 25, when we went to Rosario and the Diocese uh, gave us their bedroom. I mean, they had. You know, when you go to a, a house, then they had, at that time, I think, two children and uh, two or three children. And we had one or two at that point. And we go to their house. We're, we're going to be there 10 days uh, preaching some meetings and giving some teaching. And they had one bedroom. Uh, their, their sons slept in a like a bunk bed type of thing in the hallway. And we knew that. We, we'd been there before. And the, they said, well, y here's, here's where you folks will be staying, and led us to their bedroom. <laughs> we, we argued with them. No, we can't take your bedroom. We, we'll find a place. No, you've got to sleep in our bedroom. If you don't, that would be, that would be uh, not uh, disrespect, but it would hurt us very much if you didn't. So, so we slept in their bed, and they, we knew that they had nowhere else to go. So uh, every morning we would uh, recognize, you know, they were sleeping on the kitchen floor. Just uh, got a piece of foam rubber from someone and put it down, and that was their bed for 10 days while we slept in their bed. That, you know, that makes you feel a little bit humble, you know. Makes you feel like, man... I haven't given anything to God or to uh, for the work of the Lord. You know, here these people are just absolutely, and it was a joy for them to do that. You know, they probably never realized at that time what God was going to do in their lives and where they would go in their lives. But that man accompanied me to Malaysia. We were in Dubai together. We were in Paris together, I think. I'm not sure exactly. All of the cities, South Africa, we were together. Uh, all for the work of God, all involved in global council meetings here and there. And, and he, never, they, he never thought, I'm sure, and I certainly never thought, one day we're going to be traveling the world, dude. We're going to be traveling the world. And here we are in this little humble place uh, together. You, you have no idea what God can do in your life at any point. And I, I look back at that. I look at that. And he later became the president of the work in Argentina after we had left and, and uh, did a fantastic uh, work for the Lord. 
And you look back on that and you say, God has a purpose in everything he does in our lives. Hallelujah. It's so easy to miss what God is doing in your life and become irritated at what's happening right now. You say, this is not the Lord. This is the devil. I think we need to be careful what we attribute to the devil. You know, some people, they give so much more credit to the devil than they do the Lord. They have a flat tire, it's the, the devil's fault. You know, if they, they're late for work, it's the devil. You know, the, the devil did this and the devil did that. And I forgot my lunch, the devil did that, you know. As if the devil was their bad memory. You know, as if the devil goes around with a bunch of nails in his hand, poking them in people's tires so that they don't make it to work on time. That's giving the devil a whole lot of credit he doesn't deserve and not giving God the credit for so many things that he does in our lives. How in the world is he going to orchestrate us to do his will if he doesn't put us sometimes in situations and times in our lives that are not convenient for us and they're not comfortable for us, but he does it on purpose in order to channel us toward what he really wants us to be thinking about, focusing on, and giving him credit for. We need to every, that's why the Bible says give thanks in all things. That's a hard scripture for me. I certainly haven't followed it very well. You know, you can be full of the Holy Ghost one second, and the next second, if you weren't a Christian, you'd be cussing out that driver that's in front of you. <laughs> it doesn't take long to lose the Holy Ghost for a little bit, you know. Very quick. All you have to do is break a dish, you know. <laughs> or the dog uh, do some unmentionables on a floor that he's not supposed to do. Man, it's easy to lose the spirit of the Lord, you know. <laughs> so many times we don't see what God is doing in our lives. We don't look at it until years later you look at it and say, wow, look what God has done. Hallelujah. Look at the things that God has done in our life. I want to read a scripture uh, here and uh, just bring this to a close. The book of Zechariah, chapter 10, talks about the Lord. He's prophesying about the Lord. Zechariah 10 and verse 3, God says, Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats. For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. They shall be as mighty men, which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be confounded, and I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. Here in this verse, it mentions uh, in the previous verse, verse 9 there, um, 9, I'm sorry, verse 4, verse 4. He mentions four things here, but I 
want to focus on the third one. He says, out of him. He's talking about the tribe of Judah. He's talking about God's people, especially the people of praise. Uh, the one out of whom came uh, David, uh, out of the tribe of Judah. And then obviously later on, Jesus Christ says, out of him came forth the corner. In uh, the Spanish version of the Bible says, the cornerstone. And that is really what the meaning of the cornerstone corner there is not just a corner it's talking about the cornerstone the foundation stone that was put upon which all of the other building was built we know that refers to Jesus Christ because Paul the apostle said he is the chief Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone so out of him out of Judah came forth the cornerstone or corner as it says here out of him the nail which uh, there's, there are other verses talking about a nail in a sure place, which is that on that nail was hung all the rest of the lineage of a certain household. And in effect, Jesus Christ <coughs> is the nail upon which the whole church is uh, hanging off of that nail. If it wasn't for the nail, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for the nail, there would be nothing uh, that would continue on. I thank God that he is the nail and that Jesus Christ keeps every one of us. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the nail that we hang on. And he says he is also out of him the battle bow. This is talking about a bow and arrows. It's talking about, in Spanish, it says a war bow, a bow that is used in war. As a little kid, we thought of bows and arrows as playthings, toys. Of course, the arrows had little rubber suction cups on the end, you know. <laughs> if you're really good, really, you shot a guy in the forehead and the arrow stuck to his head. Funny thing, you know, playthings. But he's not talking about that kind of an arrow. He's not talking about that kind of a bow. He says the Lord, Jesus Christ, is our battle bow. He is our weapon of choice. He is the one that uh, actually he becomes our battle bow. The Bible talks about in the book of Genesis about uh, Joseph, the son of Jacob. And uh, in chapter 49 of Genesis and in verse 22, it says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Now, this is a, uh, an example. It's an illustration. If you close your eyes and think about it, uh, this is a fruitful uh, painting here, if we if we uh, can characterize it that way. This is something that flourishes. This is something green. This is something that's growing. You can just feel life in that. You can see vibrancy in it. You see something good there and blessings. You know, he's a fruitful bough by a well, and his branches run over the wall. You think, man, this guy's got it all together. He has all of the blessings of God in his life. Kind of wish I was like him. Well, uh, read the next few verses. It says, the archers have sorely grieved him. Another version says, they have harassed him. 
and shot at him and hated him. This is a fruitful bow, but the archers, they've shot at him. They hate him. They've harassed him. Then look at what verse 24 says. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. There's No one can argue with the fact this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ at the end. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. We're talking about David and then farther than David, the great shepherd. I thank God that Jesus Christ is all throughout our Bible and even in the life of Joseph where uh, all of his brothers hated him, they harassed him, they shot at him, characterizes them as with a bow and arrow, they are against him. And yet the Bible does not leave Joseph without a weapon. Hallelujah. If you read about what that hap- when that happened, it looked like he was defenseless. But in this verse, it looks back on all that happened to him and says Joseph was not without defense. He was not without strength. He was not without power in his own self. God gave him a bow, and it says his bow abode in strength. In other words, it never lost its strength. It didn't get weak at any time. It was a bow that remained strong from the time he was harassed until the time here Jacob, his father, is dying on his deathbed. He said his bow abode in strength. God was with him. Hallelujah. I want to encourage every one of us tonight. God is with us at all times. He's with us at all times. We tend to think that God is only with us when we're fruitful and when we're green and the bough is just going over the wall. And Oh, I like the blessings of God. Is God with you? Oh, yes, God's with me. I'm blessed. Ask him when he's down inside the well, dry well, bruised, beat up. There are his brothers looking down at him. To me, that is, the, that is the illustration. That's the moment of time this is talking about. Because they, they looked at him. They harassed him. They hated him. They're looking down at him. And yet the Bible lets us know, even though Joseph pled for them to take him out of the well, He still had strength. He had a bow. Hallelujah. I would like to characterize that he had the battle bow. Even though Jesus Christ was not born for thousands of years after that, in in the mind of God, the beginning is the same as the ending. In God's mind, everything is present. In God's mind, everything is now. There is no past or future to God. That's why he can say, I'm Alpha, and I'm also the Omega. You know, I'm, uh, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, and I'm everything in between. You know, there's, there's nothing. He says, that's, that's who I am. And that battle bow, I thank God he gave us the battle bow. Out of Judah came forth 
the battle bow, and that was given into Joseph's hands. Even though he did not know Jesus Christ, everything Jesus Christ was was in Joseph as a part of his character from God. He believed. He was there. He looked at them, and he was not a defenseless, beaten person that he appeared to be on the outside. People look at the church and they totally misjudge the church. They look at you and I and think there's something wrong with us for needing the church. You know, I, I, don't, I don't feel at all embarrassed to say that I need the church. I need the Lord Jesus Christ. I need the Word of God. I need the power of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's not just a passing fancy that could help us. No, that is our battle bow. When we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Something is put inside of us that is not us, but it becomes a part of us. Hallelujah. You have the Holy Ghost in your life. It's not you. You are not in, but yet you can't separate the power of the Holy Ghost from what is your own self inside your being. There is a fusion. There is a power in us that is the battle bow of Jesus Christ that has been given into our hearts, and we have the power of God. We're not God in the sense that we cannot command his power. So there is a difference. You know, the, the power that, that we have, we exert when we want to. You, you lift something when you want to do it. And you do it on your own. You can do that with or without the Holy Ghost. But there are other things. Hallelujah. You can't decide on your own, but you can believe. You can say, Lord, I, I know this I can't do this particular thing. This is beyond my power. This is beyond the scope of my authority. But Lord, I, I feel a confidence in the Holy Ghost. I don't have confidence in me, but I have confidence in you. There is a battle bow that is inside of me. Hallelujah. There is a bow that is a war bow. You know, some people think it's, they just think it's back to the little bow and arrow days. No. Show me that first picture of a, of a compound bow. This is a bow. Doesn't have little rubber tip arrows. You say, well, that's a little bit different. I, how come it got all those strings there? What's the little wheels on the top? Well, this was invented in 1966 and has since become the most used type of bow out there. It's called a compound bow. And uh, you don't, you just pull one string back. What do the little pulleys do? They're little cams. They're not fully round. They're little, little oval. What that does is every time you, every time it goes around, it, it puts some strength. It puts some energy in what has no energy. Now, the bow's an awesome weapon. You say, I don't think that bow could do much. Well, let's see the second picture of the, the bear. There you go. Nice little creature. They don't have these in the Amazon, by the way. 
<laughs> but this this girl, <clears throat> she killed this bear. She killed it with that bow that she's holding right now. Compound bow. This is like a second or third place world record trophy. I don't know how much this one weighs, but there's one that's first place is 1,500 pound bear, almost 1,600 pounds. Killed him with a bow. Hmm. Say, no, no. Give me a Gatling gun. Uh, give, me a, give me a bazooka. <laughs> I'll take a full armored tank. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing that this girl goes out there with a bow and arrows and this big, huge bear with one thought on his mind comes towards her and she kills him. This is a kind of a battle bow I like. This is a a battle bow that, hey, this is not just a little bow and arrow. This is something that's real. It's powerful. Every time you pull back and those little wheels go around, it's storing up energy. So that by the time you get that 70-pound uh, test or even a 50-pound draw weight, you pull that back. When you're back here, all the energy is in the bow. It's not your strength. It's not your arm power. It's not your muscles. You want to try and see how far you can throw an arrow without the bow. That's your power. Your power taking a 32-inch arrow and throwing it out there. The bear is not even going to notice. He can look at that and say, what's that? But when you put the arrow on the bow and you pull the bow string back, you're storing up energy. Somehow it passes from you into the bow, into the weapon. It goes into the two arms that come together where she's holding it. And there's so much energy there that they caution you to not dry fire the weapon. In other words, do not shoot it without an arrow on the string. Talked to a guy, what was it, yesterday. He told me he actually saw in competition a person with a compound bow that dry fired it and the bow exploded in his hands. Because there was so much energy there and no release from it. It's an amazing thing. The bow's powerful, it stores energy, but it has to have an arrow to make the effect known. The power is in the bow, but the effect is in the arrow. God has put a battle bow inside of us. The Holy Ghost is in you. The hope of glory, the Bible says. The power of God in us. Hallelujah. That's what the battle bow of Jesus Christ is inside of our lives. He's powerful. He can store energy. He can do all things. As Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I know we think of the strengthening, and it may be a stretch to include that in this message, but I think it is pertinent. He's not really talking about the bow, but we can make, a, we can make an argument that that is true. 
we think of him strengthening us as him lifting us up out of discouragement and encouraging us. Well, I agree with that. But he strengthens us if he is our battle bow. He strengthens us far beyond our own pitiful strength. We have no energy until we begin to think on the things of God. We can all come to church tired and wish we were home in bed. And then all of a sudden there's an energizing of our spirit that comes from the worship choruses. There's a, a, a lifting up of us in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We begin, we can dance. Hallelujah. We can worship God in many different ways that we were in no way prepared to do that when the service started. In one sense, he strengthens us, not just to give us more power, but that there is power in us to do the work that needs to be done. It's not always our power, not always our strength. It's the strength of God in us stores that energy up in the Holy Ghost. Some people say, well, Brother Crosley, I wish I could do that. Just wish I had that kind of faith. Wish I had that kind of power. But I don't. I just, you know, just a normal person. You know, if I was talented, I could do that. Bet, believe it. God gives me a million dollars. Pastor, count on some Gleason Todd. You know, always these ifs and future things that, Never happen. And if I win the lottery, count on me. Well, yeah, sure. But that's what all these people that buy lottery tickets for 50 years tell their wives, you know. <laughs> the reason I'm buying this is for you, baby. <laughs> We're going to go out there and ski and stuff, 80 years old, you know, and they get realize, hey, you know, all those lottery tickets are gone. There ain't no millions or any of our house. Oh, we, we, we have all kind of reasons as to why we can't do what the Lord might want us to do. Let's look at that last slide up, up here. Look at this guy, born without arms, no arms, no hands. And when he was a little kid, he said, I want to be a professional archer. I'm glad I wasn't there when he said that. Oh, I said, what? Yep. I'm going to shoot a bow and arrow. <laughs> Good luck with that. I mean, you know, you don't have any arms. You have no hands. What you going to do? How are you going to do that? He probably had no idea how he was going to do that, but he devised a way. And so with his feet, you can go on, on the Internet, look him up. His name is Matt Stutzman. Won silver medal in 2012-2015 Paralympics Games for archery. You look him up to what his profession is, he is a professional archer. That's what he is. And he picks that bow up between his big toe and his second toe. I can barely get my socks on those particular digits. <laughs> Look him up. It's interesting. He reaches down, picks the bow up, brings it up here. He's 
can see him. Somehow, I, I, I watched him do it. He puts the arrow on the bow. He's got a little strap, a little around his neck, and a little there's a little lever there that triggers the bow. That's the only help that he has. It's not a special bow. He has no other special equipment. He just has that around so he can trigger it since it has no hand. He picks that thing up. He pulls it in. He pushes that bow out. Fully draw.